This week on the Backtable podcast. We have plenty of data that as women put off childbearing, go through more schooling, right, higher education, have increased risk of miscarriage, have increased risk of infertility, all of that stuff. Typically, I say to people, you need to get this coverage before you graduate. I caveat that when I'm speaking with women. Women absolutely need to get this stuff in place before the first time you try to get pregnant. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Backtable ENT Podcast, where we discuss all things ENT and more. We bring you the best and the brightest in our specialty, and sometimes from other specialties. My name is Julie Wei. I'm a pediatric otolaryngologist. I'm taking a pause from clinical practice this year due to medical disability, and I've been passionate about physician well-being for over a decade. Hence, today, I'm so excited that our guest is Dr. Stephanie Pearson, and I can't wait to leverage her experience on the topic of disability insurance and protection for physicians. As always, Backtable ENT Podcast, we want you to take something from our show to your practice and your life. Hi, Stephanie. Hey, Dr. Wei. How are you? Oh, call me Julie. Okay. I'm excited to spend this time with you. I've had the pleasure of getting to know you, your story, and just this incredible transformation that you have created to help others. Perhaps share with our audience a little bit about yourself, background, and your expertise. Sure. I am an OBGYN by training, trained and worked in Philadelphia for my clinical career. Unfortunately, I was kicked in the shoulder during a difficult patient delivery. And in a matter of a few moments, my career ended. Wow. She tore my labrum. I was told that it would heal. I developed a frozen shoulder, had surgery, was told I'd be back to work in 12 weeks and woke up being told that it looked like a bomb went off in my shoulder, that I was probably never going back to clinical medicine. Shortly thereafter, actually had it written in one of my notes that I was a liability. So I started, let's see, my first attending job was in 2005. And my last day of clinical medicine was August 3rd, 2013. Wow. And I learned a lot the hard way. You know, my recent episodes, I want you to know, first of all, I have so much respect and admiration for you. And thank you for... Well, thank you. Really, right? Something that I think as surgeons and physicians, we would never imagine. We just couldn't imagine. Why would you? That something like this could happen. And even though maybe not to that degree, you know that I also can completely relate to what you're saying. Let's start there. We were never trained nor prepared for the profound, I don't even know how to describe what happened and how you endure the physical, mental, emotional, you know, changes. So maybe just talk a little bit about, I mean, how did you even navigate for yourself? Did you go on disability? What do you call that? Sorry, short term, long term for 12 weeks and tell us. A little bit about that. So I'll hit financial first. Yes, let's do it. We thought that we did everything right. I got a private disability policy my first year as an attending because honestly, I didn't know better when I was a resident. Mm -hmm. We had a group policy. Okay. My group policy did not have a short term benefit and then came to find out that our long term benefit in fine print 
said that they didn't cover work-related injuries. Oh my gosh, were you in private practice? Sorry, I just... No. You were an academic job. We were employed by the hospital. Wow. I had no idea that that line was in the policy. I was flatly denied and told I would have been better off had I fallen off my bike. Oh my goodness. Yeah. We applied for workman's comp and initially got declined. And I was like, wait a second. I didn't get my group benefit because they're saying it was work-related. How can Workman's Cup now say that it wasn't work-related? And basically what they were saying was that while an injury occurred, that my frozen shoulder was either idiopathic or my fault because I continued to work while I was injured, which is true. I put my head down. I tried to compensate. And I compensated until I felt like it was unethical what I was doing. The injury came in December of 12. I didn't leave until August of 13. Okay, wait, wait, wait. You're you're like telling my story. I wanted you to. I know we have a lot in common. You sure do. So back to that point, right? You're the one other person I know who totally relate to the emotional anger, disgust, frustration, exhaustion. It's an understatement. To have to prove to somebody Mm -hmm. that you're not okay, right? Right. And I know what you mean, because when I came through that, the amount of paperwork, I never thought, I know each insurance company is different, et cetera. We won't get all into that. Who would have thought I had to turn in an entire year of CPT codes, ICD-10s, surgical case log. It's as if I'm getting a board certification. Yeah. And back to the point, thank goodness, I know my husband went to law school for a second education. I don't have the time to refine print. We're not taught to do that. No. So this is extraordinary. Then what happened? So I had to sue for the workman's comp piece. Luckily, I had never been in court as an OBGYN. I mean, we know how litigious, you know, that is. I had to go to court three times. And one of those times, they had somebody say that I could be a billing secretary because I had the aptitude to learn codes. Mm, I ended up a puddle of tears. I ended up settling really out of frustration. I just I wanted to get on with my life. It was really traumatic. And so after a year, I settled with them. In the meantime, we're working through my private policies. And I, I had two both that I got as an attending. However, I found out one was true own occupation, but didn't have any of the bells and whistles. One policy had all the bells and whistles, but had a transitional occupation definition. And so the difference there is when we talk about something being truly specialty specific, that it's going to read, you're considered totally disabled if you cannot do your job regardless if you're gainfully employed in another occupation. That's the gold standard. What the traditional definition adds is until you make your pre-disability earnings. Now, if I knew that that's what I bought, I wouldn't be so angry. But I didn't really know that that's what I bought. I did not feel like I had been properly educated. I didn't feel like I had been properly advocated for. I can make an argument that for super high earners, That definition's probably fine. When I bought that policy, I mean, I was nowhere near my ceiling. And even when I got hurt, I wasn't quite at my ceiling. Every single month 
we have to produce our bank statements, my pay stubs, and our business P&Ls. And there are times where our company makes money, but I don't. But because I'm a part owner, it counts. And so there have been months in the last five, six years where they'll come back and give me the math and I suddenly don't qualify for the whole benefit. And it's been really frustrating. I bet. So let me back up because you're an expertise with all kinds of details. You know, I want to make sure for our audience and while we're on the Backtable ENT channel, I'm so excited Backtable just launched an OBGYN channel as well. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. So there'll be hopefully this episode will be shared experience and information for all the audience. Perfect. So I want to back up because I've been really thinking about what we can do to shift that, right? Especially during residency and fellowship. So maybe we just start for me, for example, right? I was just lucky, sheer luck in residency to have purchased at that time, at that, you know, minor, minimal earning level compared to attending salary, but still a policy that was own occupation. So I just want to make sure for our audience, they understand. That's the right time to do it. That's the individual policy that can protect you, whether it's HIV clause and this and that. You got to really understand, right? Have somebody explain it to you, what is included, what is not included. Correct? You correct me anytime I'm wrong. No, absolutely. And I think that's one of the things that's a bit of a differentiator for our company is that we truly lead with education. Even saying that something has to be own occupation, I typically say specialty specific yes. because there's no standardization of language in insurance. Good point. And so there are policies that say their own occupation, but when you read the definition, it's not what you think it is. And there are companies that call it regular occupation, but the definition's the right definition. I can see if you're a subspecialist, right? Like every, every surgical specialty has six, seven subspecialty. That's right. Everybody needs to make sure that they're being covered for what it is they do day in and day out. And if they can't do that, that they're going to be covered regardless if they do something else. I have hundreds and hundreds of associates who have had to leave medicine because of injury or illness. The overwhelming majority of us figure out something else to do, if for no other reason to get out of the house, right? <laughs> I mean, I'm there right now. Yeah. <laughs> right. I used to say the old adage, I'd give my left arm to be home with my boys more. Turns out I gave my left arm to be home with my boys more. They were four and six when it happened. And after six weeks, I wanted to kill everybody. <laughs> right? I mean, yes. I'm just not hardwired That's a whole other podcast that. in itself. Right? You know, <laughs> as we're in the holiday season. Sorry. We don't have time for that today. Don't get me started, Stephanie. But all joking aside, I will say this. So what I didn't learn, you know, this, this last organization that I chose to leave, I mean, I think this was just the icing on the cake, right? That was unplanned. I will say, so then when you're employed, turns out there's a group policy. Right. Well, that's the one I told you I didn't get. That's right. I got it for three months and then it ended. And I, I have to tell you, even someone interested in thinking she's aware, I didn't challenge it. I naively assumed because I left the organization, the benefit's no longer there. I, I, I know, no. have a heart attack. You'll feel better about this. I just appealed. I just noted, called, contacted them last week. 
because they assume you're working. And they say, we got to know from your surgeon that you're good to return to work. I'm like, wait a second. I've seen the surgeon all year. I've been injected for carpal tunnel. I had a tennis elbow. I don't even play tennis. I gave that up. Basically, I'm not saying this to be against my surgeon. Back to what you said, right? Hey, don't operate for 21 days. You're good as gold, right? I had no idea this other thing that happened. Also, being a doctor, we all know documentation, right? We're busy. They're templated. I've come now to learn, of course, every word matters. Let me come back to, obviously, you went through this difficult time just because I'm so focused on well-being. Who helped you? Did you have a counselor, a coach? So two parts. I'll, I'll address the who helped me first okay. because I wouldn't be here today where I am without that. Very shortly after I realized that I was not going back to work, and I... And, let me even take a step back further. I was cleared to do office GYN as tolerated. And I 100% thought that when my FMLA was up, that I was going back and I was going to do office GYN as tolerated. The day my FMLA was up, I got a termination letter. Oh, No one had the wow. decency to give mm -hmm. me heads up. I had been asked to be the chairperson before I went out. Ugh. No one called me. And that is actually when I hit rock bottom. So you know what I was told when I went through this? They said, when you're on FMLA, we're not supposed to contact you. I call BS on that one. Like, we have relationships. If somebody yeah. out of cared and reached out and asked if there are accommodations, right? Right. That right. never happened. Nothing. I want to be clear. Yeah. And people had reached out to me, by the way. Well, I don't mean your friends and your partners. No, no, no. But I'm saying the department person at our tertiary hospital got it had reached out to me the week before to see how I was doing and I'll I remember him saying we want you back when you're a hundred percent and I said I don't know if I'm ever going to be a hundred percent I was cleared to do office GYN as tolerated and that's what I'm looking forward to and then the next thing you know was a letter a week later wow so I was actually okay-ish un until then right now I hit rock bottom. I have an incredibly supportive husband. Mm -hmm. The kids were as supportive as a four and a six-year-old could be. I found a psychologist who I started seeing in the beginning mm -hmm. every other day. No, thank you for sharing that. You know, there's so much emotions to process when you go through something like this. We were not thinking about the cost. We were thinking about getting my head on straight. Fast forward, I was suicidal. I wrote my husband letters. I wrote my kids letters. I oh. had a plan. Oh, I really thought that I was better off to them financially. Gone. Because, oh, by the way, I was grossly overfunded in life insurance and underfunded in disability insurance. And I really couldn't get out of my own way in thinking that all I was to them was money. And it really took a lot of work. And to be quite honest, a puppy. I've told this story a million times. Ryan, my husband, brought home a bull mastiff puppy and said, the boys and I are clearly not enough to get you out of bed. You have a choice. You can be surrounded by filth or you can get out of bed and take care of something that needs taken care of. Make your choice. And at the time, I hated him. I thought it was the meanest thing in the world, but I credit that single act as saving my life. 
I started taking Kim for walks. I got to take her to the dog park, which, interestingly enough, really helped with my loss of identity because nobody I met at the dog park knew me as Dr. Pearson. So I got to just be Stephanie, whereas most of my other circles, everybody knew me as Dr. Pearson. It was really through a couple of months of raising a puppy and getting out there and meeting new people and not feeling like I had to be Dr. Pearson all the time that pulled me out of that funk. It was definitely not overnight. You know what? I just want to take a second and say thank you. You know, every time we tell our own stories, especially the darkest times that other people will never know, it is just it's such a act of courage and intentional bravery Thanks to share that because listening to it, I ache for you, right? Because I understand despair and, and those thoughts and something you said that we have to go back to, right? Logistics for helping our audience. It's even the life insurance funding. I promise you I had the same thoughts. You know, what am I worth dead? Right. Because there's been this pressure and reality of providing for my family as a surgeon and that's wonderful. It's all blessed. And all of a sudden, it's like I'm of no use to anyone. You know, even though it was my choice, frankly, I couldn't do enough in the first place. But that's a separate episode. But I am just so proud of you. Thanks. I have to tell you, I guest hosted another episode uh, about litigation. And it was another extraordinary physician who endured just the unthinkable and what that does to you, the PTSD, the trauma. And we're just grateful you're here today. And now you're an incredible professional. So, so tell our listeners about your company so that we can get into the some of the cool stuff about what they need to know about disability insurance. Well, thanks for saying all that. I share my story in the hopes that somebody else hearing it realizes that they're not alone and and can reach out for help. And I'll tell you, it gets easier, to be quite honest, every time I say it. When I said it several years ago, I cried every time. Now it kind of rolls off my tongue. Moving forward, I really wasn't sure what I was going to do with my life. I had already started educating and giving lectures to area residency programs about the importance of disability insurance. It was partly altruistic because I really didn't want anyone else making the mistakes I made. Part of it was for my healing, right? Every time I told my story, it got easier to tell. Isn't that interesting that we actually heal by helping others, right? I've been through a high degree of burnout. Every activity I've done that doesn't involve operating on a child as an ENT is purely, truly focused on realizing I heal when I help somebody else. And and I think that's a lot of why a lot of us go into medicine, right? It, it's how can we serve? How can we improve? How can we be instead of how can we do, I guess? And for me, teaching and education has always been really important. I love teaching medical students who wanted to learn. I love teaching residents who wanted to learn. And so it allowed me to still feel like I had a foot in the space. It allowed me to continue educating just in a slightly different way. Just different subject. I would say you're teaching with that same intentional purpose and passion. So how did that then, of course, as you speak and teach, how did that turn into, I think the company's name is Pearson Rabbits. Yeah. So Scott Rabbits, the other half of Pearson Rabbits, 
Interestingly, we have a weird small world connection. He had been tailgating at Eagles games with my brothers for years. I grew up with his cousins. I actually helped deliver a couple of the babies. And Eagles are doing great this season, I believe. Yes. Yes, they are. Scott was an insurance broker. Mm. Mostly life dabbled in disability. Got it. But when I started lecturing, I would send people to him. Ah. Right? Because I couldn't sell it. And at some point, because the company that he worked at originally was a very big light shop. Mm -hmm. At one point, he and my husband sat down and, and we were all like, wait, I'm doing these lectures. I'm sending people to you. I'm not making any money. Yep. You know, and he was like, look, you know more about this than 99% of the agents I've ever run into. Mm-hmm. And we kind of were like, okay, it's kind of time to figure this out. Are we going to do this together or am I going to create something? Right. And fast forward, we are five and a half years old. We have 22 full time employees outside of our five person exec team. We have clients in all 50 states. Wow. I love lecturing. I mean, I still like that's what fills my bucket. So if we invite you to do a webinar, please, please. I it makes me so happy. Got it. And and COVID proved that we could do this virtually. Right. I do prefer being in person. I still think that there's something to be said for energy. Right. And eye contact instead of talking to little black boxes. But I do a ton of virtual webinars I started last year getting into a little more of the national spotlight as far as, you know, speaking at White Coat, speaking at PMG, kind of fantastic. I was supposed to be at ACOG last year, but that's when I got COVID. What other big societies? Obviously, in the ENT world, I belong to several and my brain is spinning fast, right? Because as many people can hear you for the educational purpose, ultimately, whether they buy the plan from you or not, I, I can tell knowing you, that's not your purpose. You just want them protected. You know, this year already, we're back at ACOG. We're at an emergency conference. We're at an ophthalmology conference. Okay, wait, wait, wait. We got to make space for the ENT. Listen, I will. Yes, please. I love, like, I I, I cannot say it enough. I love the relationship aspect. Mm -hmm. I love speaking to people one-on-one and getting to know people individually. But this message, I feel, is so important. And the more people that I can educate, the better I'm doing. Yeah. So let me ask you this. Um, What proportion or types of specialties that Pearson Rabbits have served the most? Meaning is, do you keep track? Is that, oh my goodness, 60% of our people are OBGYN? Or because recently I have just intentionally grown into that space about surgical ergonomics and identifying based on the data that's currently available, which is a growing science endoscopic surgeons, uh, rhinologists and ENTs, right? Laparoscopic surgeons who are at higher risk for work-related musculoskeletal disorders. When in fact, if you talk to every IR radiologist that wear lead all day, right? Neck pain, back pain. So I was just curious. Take into account that those are not really designed for women. Exactly. So right? I, there's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> I'm so glad. <laughs> right? I mean... Right. Instruments are designed for men's hands. 
vests are designed for your average man. I mean, I have seen some progress. So please, men listening, I'm not hating. You know, I have seen some movement. But I was curious from your company's, you know, clientele, is there a difference you see right now? So it's funny. The way that our CRM is set up, it's a little bit difficult to track Mm. because it's how somebody puts in their specialty, right? Like if somebody writes obstetrician, gynecologist versus OBGYN versus OB, it's a little bit hard to collate. I can say with pretty strong certainty that OB and EM are probably our two biggest. Really? But that makes sense because I'm an OBGYN. When I started, that was who I reached out to. Got it. And we have another disabled physician who works with us who's EM. Ah. But I can tell you that we take care of everybody. I mean, we across the board and not just physicians. I mean, we have CRNAs. We have nurse practitioners. Oh, that's good to know. We even have non-medical people, right? Like if you said to me, Steph, my sister needs coverage. Will you help her? Of course I'm going to help your sister. So we actually have people at Google. We have people at Facebook. My favorite I have somebody at NASA. Oh, yeah, yeah. I have a connection there. Oh, my. Just ability for being out with zero gravity. That's going to be interesting. Okay. You know, everybody, in my opinion, who is educated, who needs their paycheck, should have disability insurance. Now, does everybody need the same level? Probably not. But again, that goes into understanding these products and you know, I don't want to like toot my own horn, but that's what I'm here for. It's why I started this. It's why we have this company is to help break down those nuances and demystify what has historically been, in my opinion, a purposefully confusing industry. You know, um, as I listen to you, I think I share with you, I just invested in myself and hired a literary agent and have this book project I'm committed to for 2023. And I'm thinking about you, right? Because there's a book right there, meaning... I know, I have an outline. You have an outline, but maybe that chapter we can tackle together. There is so much in what we said. And again, this is not because our male colleagues don't care or they aren't awesome. There's a part of me that just feels like it's 2022. Could we please say out to the universe and and admit and acknowledge a physiologic difference, right? I had menopause at 40. This is not all about me. Everybody has a different experience. But since I'm guest host, I'll talk about me. You know, um, I was on hormone replacement until finally last year. I said enough is enough because there's side effects there too. I hit 52. I don't need it anymore. But I'll tell you, between that and getting COVID two months ago, I just feel like I'm having massive histamine release. I'm having hives. It's like, what is happening to this body (laughs) while I'm navigating my health again, right? But this matters. I'm trying to think of all the people that have gone out on claim this year. I think we have had more women than men, Mm -hmm. which fits the kind of anecdotal paradigm that women go out more for injury and illness than men. But we've had men go out this year. I mean, cancer does not discriminate. That's Oh, I'm sorry. We've had a couple of bad accidents. I will say it's been a bad breast cancer year with young women, which breaks my heart. But we have had men go out on claim. And again, going back to the that group that I have for 
uh, physicians with injury and illness, there's a ton of men. It's just I think that women being storytellers, right, and women being more open and vulnerable, generally speaking, I think that we hear about us more because we're out there talking about it more. Yeah, definitely. And what do you think about this? As I listen to you share that, I wonder if isn't this like just a bad cycle, right? If we're undereducated about the professional protection we deserve through disability insurance, especially as physicians, right? It's called the debt to income ratio, which we just covered in our financial well-being episode. And then it's almost like you don't know you're already exhausted. You don't know what you don't know. You're not even sure you have the energy. You don't even want to open the Pandora's box. And so even though what you need more than anything is to take a pause and figure it out or just save yourself and your body and your mind and your and your physiology, right? It's so much easier. I'm just going back to what you said about showing up to work. You don't think I spend 10 months not sleeping on my right so in bed, I sleep on the left side. My husband's on the right side. But I got to tell you, you know, <laughs> you think we, we might as well have been in different rooms. I could never see him because it hurts so much to even turn my body to my right. As I thought about, I'm so grateful I can sleep on my right as of the last three months. And something small like that, right? Small like that. You forget what you take for granted. And I joke, I should probably have secrets, but I don't. I can't put a bra on the traditional way. All of my bras have to hook in the front, mm -hmm. right? What a simple yeah. thing, right? That that women do every day. You get up, you get dressed. And I was like, oh my God, I can't get my arms to get back there, right? These little things that we take for granted every day change it's, a lot. It's very humbling. And I will say this, it's changed my own view about who I am as a surgeon and about surgeons. I used to think, hey, okay, look, we are, you know, very well-trained, highly knowledgeable, highly skilled professionals, but I never thought of us as physical laborers. I never realized, if you really think about it, the kind of work we do in tiny, I mean, PZ and T's, I'm in a dark hole, small hole, bending over. I know urologists, right? I mean, just doesn't matter who you are the kind of work we do, and then outside of work, repetitively, whether it's domestic chores, right, chopping, cooking, lifting, I mean, it is overuse injury, no warm-up, no prevention, right? I tie it a lot to what I've learned about professional athletes. And it's almost like for a physician and certainly for surgeons in particular or proceduralists, just so many risk factors. And hopefully podcasts like this is simply saying, OK, wait a second, we have to really understand who we are physically when we show up to work and the load. Right. And this is um, I digress. No, I mean, musculoskeletal reasons are still one of the top reasons that physicians leave medicine. And the best time to protect yourself is when you're young, when you're in training. Right. We're never getting any younger. We tend not to get healthier right? We can get things put in place early that are going to protect us for years and years to come. Yes, I recall both as an attending in my first decade in, in my job in Kansas City, and I think about when I was in training. 
I recall there's some companies, they, you know, get time on your monthly evening faculty meeting. They come talk to you and I hate to say this, openly biased. The perception is like, oh, great, here's a salesman, right? My question is this, it, I just see this need and opportunity for standardized part of ACGME education on every trainee before they finish their residency and fellowship. This is a must. I agree with you. It's why I push so hard to educate. And I always have to say up front, I am coming to you to educate you as Dr. Pearson. I don't talk about companies by name. I talk in really broad strokes. Now, I have to disclose that I have become a broker, that I am speaking to you about something that you need to purchase, but I'm Switzerland. I'm not in bed with any particular carrier. I really don't care who people pick. I care that they understand what they're getting, what they're not getting. I liken it to the closest thing to informed consent that I can come up with. And I hope that my background and my passion and the fact that I lead with education takes away that sleazy salesperson thing. Because I, listen, that's what we're trying to change, right? I mean, that, that is exactly what I don't want us to be. And I, I will point out, all of our brokers are salaried. We've taken the commission piece off the table. The company gets paid commissions, but none of our brokers know what their commission rates are because we wanted to take away that sleazy sales. You're only pushing this because you're making more money. We wanted to get rid of that. We literally wanted to disrupt the industry and create a new model that aligns more with our values and our mission of education first. Well, I'm just going to be honest. I mean, it takes somebody like you, right? Not that I ever wish for you to have yeah. gone through it. but I don't know about no, that. No, but. because let's not undervalue the fact that you are a physician, that fundamentally that's where you're coming from. And you went through med school and you had loans and, oh, you know, God. you just shared. Yeah. <laughs> I'm curious, what are the most common questions physicians may ask you about disability insurance? You know, that first phone call to Dr. Stephanie Pearson, is there a common few questions? Is it, oh my God, I find my, I'm now disabled. You know, they're not calling you because they aren't injured, right? By the time they call you, they're injured or what's happening? No, that's just a very small, a very small proportion call for advice. Got it. Once you have a problem, it's too late. You know, I'm happy to help people from a community standpoint, from a support standpoint, navigating some of that. But that's more like an aside for me. Typically, the people that are calling we're finding that the younger generation of physicians have some more financial literacy than we did. And so a lot of people do call and, and have knowledge. As far as some of the more common questions just globally, right, is, isn't my group benefit enough, right? I have a group benefit policy at work. My employer pays for it. Why should I be paying for another policy, right? That's probably a huge one that I get. Or we get, I'm really healthy. Why would I get this now? <laughs> right. Yeah. Or I'm a resident. I have very limited income. Income. Right. right. What do I do? 
right? So I'll take those one at a time, right? So the why not just your group benefit? So there's really three big issues, and it comes down to taxation, ownership, and language. If your employer is paying for a benefit, that benefit is going to be taxable. Private policies, you're paying for them by yourself, tax-free. Big difference between money that's taxable and money that's tax-free, right? Two, your employer owns the policy, and most of those are employment-dependent. So you leave, you're not taking that with you. Now, there's exceptions to every rule, just like in medicine, but your private policy that you've purchased, you're paying with post-tax dollars, you get to take that with you for the entirety of your career. So huge, right? You hope is you go through medical underwriting one time and you don't have to do it again. The biggest issue goes back to what I said earlier about there being no standardization of language. And so they may use terms but define them differently. And you need to look at what's really written. A lot of times people think 60% of my income is covered. But when you actually read the document, there's some super secret formula calculation. Right. Yep. Or it's 60% of your base income to a max of $7,500. Sounds like those details absolutely matter. Oh, my God. Yeah. That, that, it's everything, right? So that's a big issue with the group policies. When we talk about the, well, I'm really healthy, well, that's the perfect time to get it. The <laughs> yeah, goal because, right. is to get you covered from head to toe. Right. All of these companies have to do their own risk mitigation. So they're looking for pre-existing diagnoses that they can then exclude from your coverage. So the best time to do it is when you're super healthy. And lastly, the thing about residents and fellows not having a lot of money. Look, there's ways to back engineer things. Just because you qualify for a certain amount doesn't mean that you need to purchase it all. We can get people, right? We can get people's feet in the door with a smaller benefit and then play catch up, right? Your hope is that nothing happens to you. If we're playing Vegas odds, you're going to be fine while you're in training. Again, exceptions to every rule. I do have a couple of people that have gone out in training, but we need to play that middle line of what's cost efficient versus what's cost prohibitive. We want to get you in while you're young, healthy, and can take advantage of residency and fellow discounts too. There's one very critical topic yeah. I want to make sure we cover because yeah. I could do a five-hour podcast with you. <laughs> uh, maybe be part two. I'm happy to come yeah, back. part two. I want to come back to what you said. So for all that are listening who may be residents or fellows, let me say that when I go back 23 years, when I started, that coverage was, again, based on, you know, your current salary. Excuse me. At the time, I, do, I don't want those listening to think I'm paying significant amount. Back to what you're saying about you start out a little bit smaller. And then as I became an attending over the next several years, I had the option to increase the benefits by paying more into the policy. So I just want to clarify that for the audience. That's what we're talking about, playing catch up. And, and just to piggyback on that, when you're a resident or fellow, all of the carriers offer you coverage just because you're a trainee. Mm -hmm. It's when you become an attending that they have these crazy internal algorithms that look at how much money do you make, what benefits do you get, who pays for those benefits, do you get a bonus, all of that. 
and then they tell us what you qualify for. It's a lot easier to do it while you're training. That's the bottom line is before you finish and get that certificate. Yeah, that's the takeaway. Yeah, that's the takeaway if you heard nothing else. <laughs> Let's shift to something that is so deeply personal to me. And thank you for coming to ASPO to be on the panel. I'm so excited. This is a topic of family planning, infertility, especially for female surgeons. I recently spoke at our annual meeting about the data, right? The paper from JAMA 2021, that female surgeons have three to four times the infertility risk, far higher complication during delivery, right? I say this respectfully. I haven't heard if training programs, right, they're aware of this or they take action. But I want to make sure with the time we have left that our audience who are listening what is crucial for them to understand why disability is even relevant on this topic? Okay, so there are a couple of things. And obviously, as an OBGYN, this is as near and dear to my heart as it is to yours. Yes, we have plenty of data that as women put off childbearing, go through more schooling, right, higher education, have increased risk of miscarriage, have increased risk of infertility, all of that stuff. Typically, I say to people, you need to get this coverage before you graduate. I caveat that when I'm speaking with women. Women absolutely need to get this stuff in place before the first time you try to get pregnant. The insurance companies look for any reason not to cover pregnancy. Historically, pregnancy complications account for six to 10 percent of yearly claims. So it's not insignificant. And obviously, as an OBGYN, I know all the bad stories, right? If you have a miscarriage in the first 12 months before you're applying for a policy, they're going to put a pregnancy exclusion on your policy, meaning they're not going to cover the next one, right? If you have seen REI for infertility, it's in your records, they will not cover infertility. Now, they used to not cover infertility or pregnancy. I've gotten a couple carriers to come around because, again, I've seen it plenty of times when I was practicing that just because a woman needs IVF or IUI or any of those things to get pregnant the first time, there is this interesting phenomenon that, like, once the uterus is primed, they end up spontaneously pregnant with their next pregnancy. And I don't want people, women, penalized on a spontaneous pregnancy because they used infertility treatments in a prior pregnancy. I don't have all of the carriers on board yet, but I do have a couple. When I started doing this, if you had a C-section for any reason, they wouldn't cover future pregnancies. Repeat that for our audience again. Say what? Yeah. If you had a section for any reason, they did not cover future pregnancies. They viewed C-sections as abnormal outcomes of pregnancy. It's not like the women chose to have an elective C-section. Well, some people do. I, okay, I'm not talking about those, but oh my goodness. I went nuts. I make breech kids. Okay, I don't have the right birthing pelvis. Again, more information than you guys need to know about me. I went nuts. I started sending them ACOG bulletins, white papers, right? Hospitals not letting people VBAC because they don't have anesthesia in-house or not being able to, to have vaginal twins, right? Over the last five and a half years, 
I have actually gotten all six companies to at least look at why people have sections. And instead of them not covering future pregnancies, it actually says we're not covering complications of future C-sections, which for me is a huge feather in my cap. Oh, congratulations and thank you. One company just slipped back. One of them this year just went back to their old language. So when I'm talking to a woman who's had a C-section, I say I wouldn't go with this company unless you're done having kids. I have to tell you, I just maybe part of it. Sure, I went through infertility and all the stuff. But when I hear the word disability, I'm kind of embarrassed. I never associated until recently you opened my eyes to the impact to our trainees. I mean, look, gestational diabetes, right? On the rise, gestational diabetes, forget it. They're not covering your next pregnancy. And I'll make quick shift for life insurance. It doubles to quadruples the cost of life insurance. If what? If you've had gestational diabetes in your previous pregnancy. So I also tell women, you know, the the typical that you hear about life insurance is once you have a dependent, you should have life insurance. For women, I say, look, you need to at least put something in place before your first pregnancy because we don't know if you're going to end up a gestational diabetic or not. And you need to be years removed. And I'm talking like five to 10 years removed before we can get better pricing. And now you're five to 10 years older. I got to tell you, so two things. I was humbled to have been able to give a keynote or speech at our academy's young physician section and section on residents and fellows about well-being. Part of what I did using audience response system I asked the audience, those who were comfortable sharing, it's anonymous as it shows up immediately or in six seconds, if they have personally experienced infertility or if they have experienced it through a partner or spouse. You know what the response was? 10% personally, another eight, not physically themselves, but with the partner. That's 18% or one in five. So as we come near the end of this incredible conversation today, I just want to drive it home for our audience. We've now given you several reasons why. You got to get this done while you're younger and healthy. And even if you aren't of perfect health or whatever it is, the sooner the better, right? Finish. Yeah, when you click end to this episode, you need to call now. Call three times, get 17 policies. Actually, Stephanie, no joke, you know, now now I'm thinking like I need to talk to you and get another policy on top of whatever I got going on. But wow, I mean, this is just what, I'll be honest, what drives me to keep putting in efforts in these spaces is I wish, I wish, I wish I met you, someone told me, someone explained, you know what I mean? And, and the, frankly, the truth is because Coming out as a surgeon, I enjoyed a higher salary, which this is not about whether I sacrificed and earned it and took a decade to pay off my loans. When we went through infertility treatment, we just, you know, right, paid out of pocket. Didn't even know whether that would qualify for benefits and and this and that. But wow. Okay. So I know you have a hard stop too because you're very busy. Sorry. That's okay. As we I'm happy to come back. We will have you. But as we wrap up, I'm going to give you the last word. Is there anything else you want every listener to know as a takeaway from today, other than what we've covered? So we didn't get into this, but it's something that I see a lot is 
please don't write your own prescriptions and don't write prescriptions for friends. You are doing them a disservice. We get a lot of policies that we run into hiccups. Companies want to see paper trails. They want to know that we're getting care. So like uh, for back paying for... Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Okay. Now, you know, if you call in an antibiotic for your friend with a UTI, that's not going to jam them up. But antidepressants, anxiolytics, sleep agents, narcotics, weight loss drugs, ADHD meds, they want to make sure that as physicians, we are getting the proper care that we need and proper follow-up. And it is one of the few things that will actually make you uninsurable for a period of time. So anybody out there who's doing it, please stop. Please get a real, I'm putting air quotes on a podcast, a real physician to go to who can write you your meds. And I get it. I remember not being able to eat, not being able to pee, not being able to sleep. Or we're all too busy. We don't know who to go to. We don't have a doctor. Yeah, we'll cover that on the next episode. I get it. It is so easy, but it creates a huge problem. So I just really want to get that out there because it's a big, big problem right now. Oh, yeah. And on the flip side, all of us who are physicians have been asked, by the family member, by a neighbor, by a friend, right? And can I tell you, it's just not even the right thing to do, like you said, other than the rare, desperate antibiotics, because, you know, we're in, we're in the middle of Yellowstone and I don't have reception. I don't know. But I, I hear you. Dr. Stephanie Pearson, thank you so much for your time, expertise, vulnerability, and being so deeply invested in every physician who may endure the greatest challenge of their professional and personal lives. I just hope our listeners have enjoyed this conversation. And for more information, just Google Pearson Rabbits. I'm going to spell it P-E-A-R-S-O-N-R-A-V-I-T-Z.com. For our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in today. You can find us on SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, Apple, and Ghana. Please follow us on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Backtable ENT. We love feedback. Reach out to us for whether you want to suggest topics or ideas or speakers, or if you want to come on the show, we'd love to host you. Stephanie, you, you just, you made my day. So thank you. Oh, thanks, Julie. I'm honored and privileged to be part of this project. And as I said, anytime I can help, I'm around. Yeah, we're definitely going to collaborate because I'm really thinking about entire societies, organization, departments, um, instead of this one at a time, just I feel like we're, we're playing Russian roulette, right? So I look forward to um, sharing space with you. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe, rate the podcast five stars and share with a friend. If you have any questions or comments, direct message us at underscore Backtable ENT on Instagram, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Backtable ENT is hosted by Gopi Shaw and Ashley Agan. Our audio team is led by Kieran Gannon with support from Josh McWhorter, Aaron Bowles, Nick Shellcross, and Ness Smith-Savadoff. Design and digital marketing led by Brian Schmitz with support from Taylor Spurgeon Hess and Yvonne Ogrodzinski. 
social media and PR by Chi Ding. Administrative support provided by Jimmy Lee Thanks again for listening and see you next week.